Humility is key if we plan on connecting with people and living a quality life. That's the topic for today's show. Welcome to Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how we can show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Thanks so much for tuning in. So this is a topic that I definitely probably have a lot of excitement about, but also like a lot of urgency. And I just left a friend's house and she and I were talking about this. And as I'm driving home, I just feel my blood pressure rising somewhat with excitement, but somewhat also with just the awareness that what I'm about to kind of talk through is not necessarily a popular message and It pushes back against a lot of maybe community norms that I see that I really resist and really take kind of umbrage to, umbrage with, I forget which way we say it, Um, but not not in a judgmental way. Incidentally, we'll talk about that shortly, but in in a way where I think we need to navigate life a little bit more humbly in general as it relates to intersecting with other people and intersecting with other people's stories. Now, I was supposed to come home and I was going to turn on the Hamilton soundtrack and I was going to, um, which I just invited into my life, like over the last couple days, I'm about, what, two, three years late to the party, but so good, right? And so I'm going to turn that on and do some meal prep, but I really just felt compelled to kind of drop some of this podcast down just so I can organize my thoughts and get them out there, because I do think, especially Um, I I teach in a Christian school, I teach in a Christian college, and one of of the verses that always sticks out to me as, as just an important life posture is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And I I feel that responsibility in my life, but I also work in mental health, and mental health is just riddled with so many stigmas. Uh, Mental health awareness is really just ripe with so many barriers and so much pushback. And I find myself just getting really kind of riled up about the audacity that some of us have to walk around and assign big labels to people and big judgments to people and question people's life choices. Not that we don't have to have discernment and not that we don't have to surround ourselves well, but I guess the judgment piece is something I just don't understand. And that's what I want to spend some time on today is conveying hopefully effectively, you know, whether I do or not, we we have about 15 minutes to decide here. Um, But I want to convey that if we are ever willing to lean in and learn someone's story, their life choices tend to make a lot of sense. If there's a book that demonstrates this really well, that's pretty um, accessible for us. I would really encourage you, if you're into reading about emotional healing and emotional wellness, I just started the book, uh, Good Morning Monster, and it's five different stories of emotional healing, and they're pretty comprehensive kind of macro pictures of someone's healing journey. So it's following a client over four or five years. And these are people who come from pretty significant trauma backgrounds. Now, disclaimer, I've only read through the first two people's stories. I think that's Laura and Peter. So it might get quirky and weird going forward. I'm not sure, but I still have three narratives to read through. And I'm very excited for it because this book is going in and teasing apart someone's story and giving just a lot of concrete understanding of how home of origin affects people, how different coping strategies and defense mechanisms show up, um, how lifestyle choices, once they start to get dismantled, it gets really confusing as we start to kind of re-understand our story or reorganize ourselves around truth and really how important it can be to walk through those seasons with a clinician. I'm also going to shamelessly plug mental health, um, 
um, therapy just constantly. So if you're willing to tune in, understand that's coming your way pretty consistently. But I think stories like that are just a great understanding of why judgment really has to be eradicated from a lot of our stories. And I'm talking about judgment for things that maybe we find absolutely egregious. One of the first ones that comes to mind um, is the topic of suicide. And how many of us make really just, just insensitive statements about the selfishness of suicide or, or how could they or what were they thinking? And while that's true for some of us, while, while that might feel like the accurate kind of, we have this big impact that someone has taken their life, um, and, and, that, and that's, that's so jarring, what I would say to anyone who is in disbelief is, what must that person have been experiencing that taking their own life became the solution for them? Let's go back to the appraisal stuff we've talked about and how when your perception of resources are low, your perception of risk is high. What must be going on in your life where the only resource or the only solution you have left is to take your own life? That sounds so significantly painful. It sounds so significantly lonely and confusing that the only solution you've come up with or the best solution you've come up with is to take your own life. And I feel like when we when we deal with survivors of um, suicide, so the family members who are left behind after a suicide, we often get kind of stilted in how we're able to intersect with them because we have this, you know, stigma of what suicide is and how selfish it is. And OK, maybe that's accurate. However, imagine what must have been going on in their in their body, in their mind, in their spirit, in their community, that suicide became the solution. And that's why I think humility has to lead. We don't know the stories. Statistically, there are many suicides that we have zero insight um, that that they that someone was even contemplating it. They must have been going through something so significant that it became their solution. And I don't believe that we are supposed to walk around making hypotheses about what they, they should have done differently or what they could have done differently. Somewhere along the way, they decided this was the solution. And that is a heartbreaking understanding. And if you don't understand that, what a blessing. If you don't understand the depths of pain that must have been happening to arrive at suicide as the option, that's a blessed life. If you have no frame of reference for it, I appreciate that in your life, you don't understand that level of pain. And so that's where I think the humility piece has to rise up and has to take uh, prominence. If we don't understand that level of pain, that is a blessing. I also see this as it relates to addiction. Culturally, we have such a judgmental posture towards addiction. And while it makes sense to say people need to make better choices, people need to steward their health well, what happens when they don't have the education of what healthy looks like? What happens when they don't have models and mentors who show them what healthy looks like? What happens when they don't have the resources to achieve or have um, access to healthy things, healthy outcomes? They're going to pick something that helps them cope, helps them soothe. And addiction is usually where a lot of people land. If we look culturally around us right now, addiction is everywhere. One of the places that I see this specifically is with the topic of obesity. And obesity is very much an addiction. Obesity very much stems from, you know, a whole host of different um, lifestyle things, including there are some choices, there's some lack of resources, there's there's a whole host of it, um, of, of reasons why obesity is part of someone's story. 
But the number one reason obesity is part of someone's story usually is related to trauma. Obesity becomes the solution for something. It becomes the solution for pain. In many stories that I know, obesity is actually a way to keep predators away. So someone who's been exploited sexually at a young age has decided number one, to self-soothe, but number two, if I am unattractive, maybe someone won't put their hands on me. And so for us to look at someone who is struggling with obesity and make big judgments about them and try to infer that they're lazy or they're slothful, I ask you to contemplate what must be going on in their life that navigating the world in 2021 with morbid obesity is the solution. It is brutal to walk around feeling the eyes of the world on you, ridiculing and judging you and feeling a loss of control, but it's a solution to something. And so I once again believe that if we're walking around making snide comments about someone's body and someone's size and someone's shape, we're the ones with the problem. Something is going on in their life where this is a solution for them and judgment just can't be a part of how we intersect with those stories. Pornography is another one that comes up and this is one I get really fired up about because we have our youth struggling with this. We have young boys, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, where it might start as a curiosity and then for some reason there's so much stress or so much upheaval or in many cases there's so much shame that they start to get gripped by the addiction piece and it becomes a solution, usually a substitute for connection or it's a substitute for feeling powerlessness. So pornography gives a sense of power. But if we're willing to go into someone's story, we're going to make sense of why they choose what they choose. And that is a place where I think, you know, for anyone who is going through something in their own families where they're like, I just don't get why this is their choice. I don't get why are they the alcoholic? Why are they gambling? Why are they, you know, the workaholic? Well, something in their story is going to inform that. And often it's a relational breakdown somewhere. So they're having needs. They don't know how to meet their needs. They're choosing this as a substitute to meet those needs. And it makes sense, my friends. And so to walk around judging someone, it just doesn't help the situation in any way. Now I will say someone with addiction, whether you know it's obesity, pornography, gambling, workaholism, whatever it is, someone with addiction is going to reap the consequences of those choices. And the heartbreaking part is there's damage by proxy. So there are spouses that have to deal with the damage. There are kids who have to deal with the damage. And that's why things like limits and boundaries have to be put into place. That is part of what's expected if you're dealing with someone who is in a destructive pattern. But the grace part has to say that they're picking this as a solution because they don't know how else to do it. So we have to accrue resources or rather they would have to accrue resources because they would have to want the change. But it's not, um, someone's not choosing addiction just to be a bad guy, just, just to be a, a crappy human being. They're choosing addiction because it's become the solution along the way. And if we don't understand it, understand that's because you don't have that same pain. And that has to be a little clue that maybe we need more gratitude for our own stories if we don't understand the pain. Um, just back one more conversation piece about obesity. We understand trauma significantly better because of the research that came out in the late 80s and early 90s out of an obesity clinic specifically. Because there was um, a study, if, if you're familiar with the ACEs at all, we'll actually develop that a couple episodes away. But it came out of an obesity clinic study where they had a sample size of 17,000, which is a pretty profound sample size. And within that sample size, I believe it was 80% of the women had experienced sexual abuse and over 50% of the men had experienced sexual abuse. And morbid obesity was the kind of long-term consequence of trying to protect themselves or soothe themselves post-abuse. And so I really think those stories are imperative that we understand 
people in addiction have chosen a solution. What we do with addiction clinically is we try to help them generate other solutions. So instead of binge eating being the solution, we come up with other activities they could do instead so they have more resources. The more resources they have, the lower their risk is, the lower there's a need for the addiction. But it's so steeped in relationship that if we continue to lead with judgment, we're disallowing any sort of healing to actually happen and we're going to exacerbate the problem. We need to give love. We need to give compassion. I will say again, we also need to give boundaries. It is imperative that if someone is causing destruction in your life due to addiction, due to some sort of poor lifestyle choice, you have the right to protect yourself. But you also don't have to protect yourself and judge or and be critical and exacerbate the situation by, by blame. Most addicts I've ever walked with are, are devastated by what they're doing. They just don't have the solutions to get out of it because they've chosen addiction as their self-soothing solution. By way of hitting the piece of humility one more time, as I work with my abnormal psychology students, we talk through many different pieces of mental health diagnoses. So we'll look at anxiety and we'll look at it through a biological perspective, through a sociological perspective, um, through a cultural lens. So we, we take one diagnosis and we look at it through a variety of ways. And one of the things I say to them often, um, when we start to question other people's mental health, I ask them um, to contemplate, did you have anything to do with determining your genetics. So as it relates to the nature part of your being, did you have any influence on the genetics you were born with? And obviously we're like, no, it's, it's what happens when, um, when I'm, you know, born from these two particular parents. And then the second thing I ask is, did you have anything to do with the home of origin that you were placed in? So did you determine at a very young age that you were going to be put in a healthy context or an unhealthy context? Did you have any say in that? And obviously the answer is no, we did not get to decide genetics or home of origin. Because that's true, I think it's especially imperative that we halt judgment because whatever advantages we did have in life, they were 0% attributed to things that we determined. So if we do have you know, genetics that are resistant to certain struggles, that is not because we picked the right genetic lottery, it's because we were granted the right genetic lottery or however you want to say that. We did not have any influence in the home in which we were raised, especially in our early years when a lot of kind of the infrastructure and framework is laid for our personality and for our addictions and for our self-soothing behaviors and whether or not you have an abuse history. A lot of that happens far before any formative influence we might have in our homes. And so it's important to understand, again, if you can't fathom things like suicide, if you can't fathom things like addiction, if you can't fathom the brokenness that you see around you in your own story, it's because the context in which you were raised was somehow more blessed than what other people experience. And because we didn't pick our context and we didn't pick our genetic composition, I don't believe we get to lead with judgment. It just doesn't make sense to me that we can have a better than posture when it's supposed to probably be more along the lines of a more blessed than posture. And look, some people that I know in my personal life, I know in my own story, there are places where people fight tooth and nail to push back against um, you know, genetic issues or push back against home of origin issues and actively fight militantly for health. And that is an option. But I know in my story, it's an option because mentors have come alongside of me and walked with me through really tough seasons. I know in many of my friends' stories who have been overcomers, things have aligned in their stories where someone intervened on whatever the crisis was in their life or whatever the relational breakdown was, 
and came alongside of them and helped breathe into their um, into their story some sort of change or some sort of uh, shift in their narrative. And all of that, from my point of view, requires just reverence and humility for anyone who is able to change, for anyone who's been able to claw their way out of a, a system of trauma or a cycle of trauma. For anyone who has shifted the family narrative, I respect you, I revere you. For those who have not been able to do it yet, let's say, then I have nothing but confidence that you can. You need to find the right people to come alongside of you. And for those who are, are meeting these people in a space of judgment, it just doesn't make sense. People don't fall through the cracks if they don't want to. I had a very important mentor tell me that before. And so for those of you in the throes of struggle, please understand understand you can fight. You can fight tooth and nail for things to be better. You might need to find a new support system or, or new people to walk with you. One of the harder realities that is the converse side of that is we don't get to rescue people who don't see a need for change. And that is heartbreaking. And that is often where our judgment shows up. But again, if they've chosen these solutions because they're the most obvious solutions for them, I think we have to have reverence for the fact that they just don't realize that life can get better. And judgment should not be a part of that story. We don't need to understand their journey, but what has to be true for anyone choosing these types of lifestyle choices that are painful to observe, while it's painful to observe, it has to be excruciating to live. There has to be a reason why this is a solution for them. There's a lack of resources going on there. Whatever their story is, there's an explanation for the choices that are being made. And I think because that's accurate, we really need to have a posture of humility. And conversely, not conversely, um, the two sides of the same coin, we have to have a rampant awareness of our own blessings if we are not affected by these types of struggles. That will wrap us up for today. I so much appreciate any time you're willing to spend listening. And if you're willing to do some self-reflecting after this and think through what might it look like to walk more humbly, I would celebrate that as such a win if you're willing to consider how we could all just collectively shift a little bit less towards judgment and a little bit more towards grace towards one another. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Episodes drop every Monday and Wednesday. If you're willing to share, if you're willing to like, if you're willing to follow on SoundCloud or on iTunes, all of those gestures are so much appreciated. Enjoy the rest of your week.